Hey, my name is Ryan McVitie, and I am the pastor of the River Worship. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. If you haven't heard about the river yet, it's an amazing move of God happening in the greater Toronto area. Yes, Toronto, Canada. It's a cold place, but we have warm hearts, and we love coming together every Tuesday night and worshiping the Lord with all we've got. We also get to dive into the Word, and that's where we're going to go right now. We're going to dive into the Word of God, and I trust and pray that it will impact you in a powerful way. If you're ever in the Toronto area, come visit us. We would love for you to worship with us together. But enjoy the message, and God bless you. Where do you run? He runs after you, but where do you run? And I wonder... Is there anyone in this room that is like me? Because I know this is me. I just, I get up here and be transparent with you. That feels like you're always running, always chasing, always running, trying to get to the next thing. And it's like sometimes in life, you just feel like you can't get a breath. Is there anybody who ever feels that way? You know, you, you pay one bill and you feel good. And then there's just another one. Students, you, you complete one assignment and you realize there's, there's just another one. And you're running and you're running and you're chasing. And, you know, you get one task done at your job and then your boss just gives you another one. And it's like we're constantly chasing. And sometimes it's not things like that. It's things like chasing approval. Needing approval from others. Chasing contentment. Thinking that, you know, when I make it around that corner, then, then I'll be happy. When I can own a home, then I'll be happy. When I can get my dream job, then I'll be happy. Today in 2023, we do a whole lot of running. We run and we run and we tire and we chase. But the question I want to ask you tonight is where do you run? He runs after you, but where do you run? And to answer that question, I think there's only one way to really truly accurately do it. We have to look, this is where we're going to spend some time tonight, at where we run when it all falls apart. I mean when times are hard, when you're in the valley, when there's suffering, when stuff hits the fan. Where do you run? Where do you go? Because in times of crisis, you learn a lot about yourself, and I think you really find out the orientation of your heart. Where do you run to when it's overwhelming? Where do you run to when you're scared? Because this world gives you a lot of options. But I want us to look inwardly tonight and ask ourselves truly, where do we run? So in that, I'm going to tell you a little story tonight, and it's a bit of a funny one. Um, At least I think it is. Back when I was in undergrad in college, I went to school in Virginia to a big Christian university, 20,000 students there, biggest Christian university in the world. And the founder of that school was a great man of God. Unfortunately, he's moved on to be with the Lord now. But all that stuff I was just telling you, he taught this day in and day out. He always wanted to know your heart. What's your true heart? Not your words, not your actions, but what's your heart? Where do you go to when you're at the end of yourself? He said that was indicative of your heart. In times of crisis, what do you turn to? Where do you run to? He was real serious about it. And he did this thing on campus that was crazy. Y'all, crazy. Um, This was in Virginia. 
So he would buy firecrackers, but you got to understand something about America, okay? Everything is legal in America, everything. Our firecrackers are these little baby things, right, that you buy. Their firecrackers are like stinking hand grenades that you can buy. This guy would buy these M82 firecrackers, they were called, these huge firecrackers. And he would get in the office early in the morning, hundreds of staff at this university, hundreds, big place. He would get there early, and he would creep up to your office if you were a staff member, quietly, like this, and he would crack your door open, and he would get a lighter, and he would light the firecracker and open the door just enough that he could throw the firecracker into your office while you're in a meeting, while you're on the phone, while you're doing research, and he would sit at the door and listen while this firecracker explodes. You know why? To see if you would swear. <laughs> he would sit there. And he would listen. He would blow up a bomb to see if you would drop a bomb. <laughs> Y'all, I probably would have failed that test. I'm just being real with you, okay? If I think a bomb's going off, I don't know. I don't say that proudly. But he, he had this theory that when you're in a time of crisis, he gets to see the real you. That is psychotic what he did, <laughs> okay? That is cruel. That is unusual. It's a breach of every HR code you could find at any place of employment, I'm sure. But he had this theory that he could see the real you. And honestly, if you would drop the wrong word, he would pull you into his office and go, you got to check your heart. Whoa, <laughs> crazy. But he had this theory that, that in times of suffering, in times of hardship, that's when you see the real you. And while I disagree with his hand grenade method, definitely, the premise is correct. The premise is True, that's a funny, cruel story about where you run to in times of crisis. But I had another interaction last week. Man, this warmed my heart up so much. I'm going to try not to cry with you, okay? I'm a new dad. I love my son so much. In fact, so much that I brought a picture. Where's the Maverick update? Can you put Maverick on the screen, please? Give it up for my boy right there. That little teddy bear. That's Maverick Elmer McVitie, 18 months old. That's him at the park just two weeks ago. It wasn't that cold. I'm not an irresponsible parent. Don't worry. He had a coat too. But this kid loves life. He's the object of my affection. I love this child more than anything in the world. I'm crazy about him. And him and I were home. This just happened last week. And we're home by ourselves. Mama is out uh, working on her dissertation because she's a G. And she's way smarter than me. And she's getting her doctorate degree right now. Give it up for her. That's right. Ladies are shouting for that. And it was just me and Maverick home alone, and we're playing in the hallway with a basketball, and he's got a small net like this. Any basketball players in the house? Yes, that's right. You know I love ball. So he's there, and he's learning, and he's shooting the ball, and he's having the best time in the hallway, and we're just having a great time. And then he hears a key go into the door, and the door start to turn. And all of a sudden, I look at his face, and sheer terror goes through his face. And he turns from the basketball net, and he waddles, because that's what he does. And he grabs my leg, and he holds on to me in fear. And he looks at the door, because he knows that noise. It means someone's coming in, something unexpected, but he doesn't know who it's going to be. And in that moment, guys, I got to tell you, when he ran to me, his father, and he grabbed my leg and wrapped around me and treated me as his source of protection, his source of provision, his refuge. The love that I felt for that boy in that moment, 
I mean, anything could have came in that door and I would have stopped it. Because I was so moved by this love that he had that I get to be where he runs to. And in that moment, I prayed. I said, God, I pray that he never thinks that he can't run to me. I pray that he always thinks he can run to his father. And I got reflecting upon that love that I had for him in that moment. Unfortunately, it was a very short moment because he turned to the other direction just to see that his favorite person in the whole world, his mom, walked through the door. And I was chopped liver in about three seconds, and he didn't care about me for a minute after that. That's just reality of being a dad. Every dad in this room knows it, okay? He's a mama's boy. It's just fine. But the feeling I felt for those couple seconds when that boy ran to me in his time of need, I would have done anything for him. Do you know that is exactly how your maker, your father, feels when you run to him in your time of need? That is exactly how he feels. He loves when you run to him. You know why? Because nothing proves your faith or your love more to him than when you run to him in your time of need. Because this world wants you to run to a whole lot of other things in your time of need. This world has a whole lot of alternatives in your time of need. And the enemy, you got to understand, is happy when you run to anything but your father. Anything but your father. And if he really gets his way, he'll love for you to run to things that harm you. Things like running to the bottle. Things like running back to an addiction. Things like running back to a damaging relationship. Those are the things that get him really happy. If you run there, the need for approval, the, the constant need to have approval from someone else anytime something goes wrong in your life or you have doubts, he loves that. But just to be real with you, it doesn't have to be a dark, scary thing. He is happy when you run to anything other than God, even if it's a good thing. Because hear me when I say this, a good thing cannot replace a God thing. So he is happy if you will run anywhere except to your father. You know why? Because he knows the outcome of that battle. He knows that he already lost. And if you are like my son, wrapped around the leg, he knows he can't get to you. He knows he is powerless when you run to your father. But if we're being honest, in 2023, one at you and three back at me, we still run. We still chase a whole lot of other things than just him, and the enemy loves that. But the real truth of the matter, the thing that I want you to get tonight, the thing that we're really going to preach on and get deep in, is that you don't need to constantly be running. You don't need to constantly be exhausted. You don't need to be sick and tired of constantly being sick and tired. Because when you run to the things of this world, you might be able to lean on them for a second, but eventually every single one of them crumbles. You don't need to constantly be running. You don't even need to run to your Savior because he already ran to you. He ran from heaven down to the cross because he loves you that much. And he still runs to you today. He stands at the door of your heart and knocks. Imagine that, that your soul, that your heart is important enough that this ultimate battle rages between the enemy and the creator of the universe. That's how much you matter. So when you go out in this world and people tell you you're an accident and that you're not enough, you got to remember the biggest battle of all time is raging over you. That's how much you matter. 
And the best news of that is this, my second point for my note takers. It's time to stop running and it's time to start staying. This life is not about running, my friends. This life is about staying. I want to talk to you about the power of staying. Running sucks. Who here hates running? Hands up. Come on. Treadmills are torture devices. Amen? Can I get an amen to that? Amen. That's right. I love the gym, but I hate the treadmill. I hate running. Running is terrible. You should be loving this message right now if you hate running. Nobody likes running. No sane, normal person likes running. Okay? Maybe you like the results of running. Because running, you know, running on a treadmill can certainly breed results. Maybe you like the results. But if you like the process, you and me, we're just not going to be friends. I'm sorry, because I just, I can't get behind that. I've played soccer my whole life. I have run thousands of kilometers. You put a ball in front of me, I will run forever. A treadmill? That's disgusting. No, absolutely not. Nobody likes running. In fact, one of my best friends in college, so this is quite a few years ago, because I'm 34, I'm getting old. One of my best friends in college, he told me this incredible story. His dad was at dinner with us, and his dad was in the Secret Service in the U.S. He lived in Northern Virginia, just outside of Washington, D.C. And <laughs> his dad shared this story. His da- I'm not going to use any names, okay? But if you're smart, you might figure it out. His dad was on the protection detail of the vice president at the time. Okay, this vice president has since graduated to other things. That's all I'll say. The vice president at the time, okay? And he told me this story about being on his security detail, which I probably shouldn't be sharing with you, but I am. And he told me that this VP wanted everyone to think and believe that he ran every morning. Because, you know, a vice president should care about health and fitness and all that. So he would get up early in the morning. He'd put on his running shoes. He'd put on his running clothes. He'd walk out of the White House. And he would approach the media who was waiting there every morning. He would say hello to the media. And then he would run to a private area of the property and get going and get on his run. What my friend's dad told me is that just around the trees, Secret Service would park a black SUV. And this vice president of the United States of America, the most, second most powerful man in the free world, as soon as he was out of the view of the press, would hop into this black SUV. And he would take a nap for 30 minutes in the back seat of this SUV. And then he had a spray bottle in the SUV that he would spray his face with to make it look like he was sweating. <laughs> and after his good little nap, he would get out of the SUV and run back up to the White House, and go to the media, <sighs> covered in water, and let them all think that he just had a great big run. He hated running, and I do too. Running sucks. It's terrible. The good news of the Lord for you today is that you don't have to keep running in this life. And you don't even have to fake it with a spray bottle and a nap. You don't have to run in this life. You just have to stay. You just have to stay. Look, I don't run anymore. There was a day when I did. This is a joke my dad uses all the time, and it's just the truth. I already caught the bus. Okay, my bus is sitting right here. It's five foot eight and beautiful with blonde hair. I already caught it. I got the ring. She got the ring. She's stuck. I caught the bus. I don't need to run anymore. My running days are behind me. Single people, y'all still got to run. That's just how it works. 
just go ahead and get married and then you don't have to run anymore. It's great. Then you just get to what? You get to stay, which is what this message is all about. I don't have to run anymore. What I have to do now is stay. You don't have to run because Christ already ran for you. He ran to you. He already ran. Running is a spirit of religion that you just got to keep on chasing with your works. And you got to run and run and do better and get better and be better so you can gain the approval of your God. That is not how Christianity works, my friends. Religion is due. Christianity is done. It was already done. And if there's anyone thankful in the room for it, you should be giving them praise right now. It's already done. It's not due. It's already done. But this isn't some easy preaching. There is something that you do have to do. You might not need to run anymore, but you do need to stay. And there is so much power in staying. There is so much protection in staying. Just like that sweet boy Maverick, my son, came up and grabbed my leg and, and he got all of my protection. The day that you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, guess what happened? You got all of his protection. The King of Kings, God three in one, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You got it all. It's already there. Now you got to stay, though. That's what I want to tell you. Now you have to stay. And when you are on the mountaintop and you are being blessed and you see how good God is and you've been having a great week and for the first time your account ain't overdrawn anymore and you're getting out of debt, that's easy to be like, goodness of God, yeah, embarrassing that. That's awesome. That's easy. But when you are suffering, let's get real, when you are down in the valley, when you can't get out of debt, when he broke your heart, when she cheated on you, I don't know what your story is, but when you are suffering, when it is all falling apart, when your faith and your circumstances just don't align, it's hard to stay. Because this world will show you things that, and tell you that you should be running to these things, and when you run to them, then you'll find happiness. When you're suffering, it's hard to stay. There's a character in the Bible that we're going to get to now that there is no better example of a person who suffered. I mean, this poor guy suffered incredibly. His name is Job. Job suffered to untold, unprecedented amounts. And I don't know how many of you really know the story of Job, so I'm going to give you the Spark Notes version. This is the Sunday school version, okay? Job, you got to understand, if you read the book in the Bible, the first chapter tells you so much. It tells you most of what you need to know about Job. And it starts with this discussion between Satan, a fallen angel, and God. And this discussion takes place between the two of them. And Satan makes this assertion to God. He says, you know why people love you? Paraphrasing. The RIV, Ryan-inspired version. Paraphrasing. You know why people love you? You know why people stay with you? Because you're good to them. And you bless them. And you protect them. But if you weren't good to them, and if you didn't bless them, no one would stay with you. They would all follow me. They would all follow Satan. Basically, here's the 2023 version. God, you're buying your followers. They don't follow you because they want to. It's because you pay them. You give them a bunch of good stuff so they follow you. And you know what God replies? He says, have you met my boy Job? 
Let's take a look at Job's life and let's see if you're right, Satan. And then Job goes through it. Job becomes the case study of this great debate that takes place in heaven between Satan, a fallen angel at the time, and God. And we look at Job's life, and the devil says this, basically. He says, God, if you allow me to take away all his stuff and take away his possessions and take away his protection and everything you do from him, I guarantee you he will leave you and he will come with me. That's what he says about Job. And then you've got to read the rest of the book to know what happens. Round one of the enemy's attack comes in. Job is a wealthy man. Job has a lot, and all of his assets become diminished. All of his assets become destroyed. He loses everything. We're not talking recession. We're talking bankruptcy. He loses all of it. He loses his staff next. He loses all his help. He has no one by his side to help him anymore. And then, parents, you know there's nothing that could be worse the devil takes his kids. His kids die. He loses his children. He loses his offspring. But guess what? Job still doesn't run to the enemy. He still stays, and that gets the devil even more angry. So he comes back for more in round two. He says, if the stuff didn't get you, if the kids didn't get you, I'm going to come for your health. How many know in this life, when you don't have your health, you can't enjoy anything? He comes right personally for Job, and he takes his health, and he gives him disease. And now Job has lost his kids. He's lost his stuff. He's sick, but he's still got one thing left. He's got his wife until the enemy comes for that too. And the one person who is supposed to have your back in life, no matter what circumstance, no matter what, no matter what decisions you make, no matter how sick you are, for good or bad, for in sickness or in health, she comes to Job and she says, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? He can't even count upon his wife anymore. This situation cannot get worse for him. But see, the devil thought if he took his stuff, if he took his kids, if he took his health, if he took his wife, that Job would leave God, that he would not stay anymore, and that he would run to the devil. But how many know the rest of the story that Job stayed? Job didn't leave. Job stayed. Now, you've got to understand, Job wasn't perfect. I'm not perfect. I'm pretty sure you're not perfect either. Unless one of you are Jesus Christ, which would be mad cool. Show yourself. <laughs> nope, just checking. I'm not perfect. Job wasn't either. He doubted. He was discouraged. Sometimes he accused God. If we're being real, we've accused God. He wasn't perfect, but you know the one thing he did do? He stayed. He didn't run. He stayed. And he said this in Job chapter 12. He said, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away, but none the same. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He said, though he slay me, he's blaming God right now. Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. That is some kind of staying power. That is some kind of faith. It's not a perfect faith. He's blaming God for everything that has happened to him, but he's still staying. Imagine how frustrated the enemy is by Job. He is throwing everything he has at him round after round after round, and Job is just proving God right. He's staying. Imagine how frustrated the enemy is with you. 
Because so many of you, he has been coming for you. He has been coming for your family. He has been coming for your mental health. He has been coming for your physical health. He has been coming for you in your workplace. He has been coming for you in your relationship, in your friendships. And guess where you are on a Tuesday night at 8 p.m.? You're right here staying, staying with your God. So you got to know that the enemy is ticked off at you tonight. Because just like Job, you are proving him right. You are staying. But it's hard to stay. Job doubted. He got discouraged. Job didn't understand. But he stayed. And guess what happened to him after he stayed? Job chapter 42, verse 10. The Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. The Lord blessed the later part of Job's life more than the former part. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. That might not excite you because you're not a farmer. Today it's about Ferraris and Rolexes, but back then it was about camels and donkeys. And he had a heck of a lot of them. In fact, double what he had before the enemy attacked. Verse 16, after this, Job lived 140 years. I thought you came for his health, devil. 140 ain't bad. In fact, not just 140. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. What a blessing. I just pray that I can meet my grandkids one day. He saw four generations. What a blessing. Guess what happened to him? He was blessed double for all of his trouble. And there is someone in this room tonight that that reminder was for you, that you are in the suffering, you are in the thick of it, but you should get excited right now in this very moment because he is getting ready to give you double for all of your trouble. He's getting ready to bless you and provide for you if you will stay. But you got to stay. Stay where, pastor? What do you mean stay? Stay where? Here's where you got to stay. This is my third and final point. Here's where you got to stay. You got to stay in the room. Would you look to your neighbor right now, the one whom you love? Quick, 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 quick. The one whom you love, married people, intelligence at this moment, the one whom you love, and say, stay in the room. Say it better, stay in the room, because the preacher ain't done yet. That's not my message, I just like it. Stay in the room. You got to stay in the room. You ever heard sayings like this one? Um, you don't get it. You just weren't in the room. Or how about this one? Oh, if I could, just could have been a fly on the wall in the room. How about this one? If I could just get in the room, they would see my potential. If I could just get in the room. My friends, important things happen in the room. What room is this crazy preacher talking about? I'm talking about one from the New Testament. You may have heard of it. It's called the upper room. Who here has heard of the upper room before? Oh, boy. If I had time to take you to Bible college, I would tell you about the upper room and what happened in the book of Acts. We're not going Acts tonight. We're going into John in a moment. But the upper room is an incredible place. It's a famous and powerful room. And we're going to look at John chapter 20 in a moment. But first, before we go there, i got to paint the picture for you because I don't have enough time to read you the whole book of John. you got to understand the context before we jump into John chapter 20. John chapter 20, what starts happening in the verse we're going to go in is that the disciples are hiding in the upper room. 
The disciples are in fear in the upper room. In fact, they have the doors locked in the upper room. And they are terrified, and you might ask why. Why? Because in John chapter 20, their Christ has just been crucified. The one that they left their professions for, the one that they left their families for, the one that they left everything behind, the great hope of Israel, the one that was going to defeat the Romans and restore the great nation of Israel, is dead. And just one week before, they came into Jerusalem with him, and just like you shouted tonight, the people of Jerusalem lifted up their hands and their palms and they said, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. They welcomed him. He was famous. He was loved. He had a parade. That was just a week ago. But then four days later, those same people would cry, kill him, kill him, kill him. They would choose a criminal over him. And they would put him up on a tree and they would not crucify him, they would execute him on that tree. And they would do it right before the eyes of many of these disciples. So you've got to understand what's happening in this room right now. This is not the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This is a terrifying moment in the upper room. This is a moment of fear. This is, God, it wasn't supposed to go this way. God, this wasn't my plan for your son. Even though he told us this is what would happen, we didn't believe it. This is not what was supposed to happen. That's where they are. They're in the upper room and they're trembling. They're discouraged. And then something spectacular happens. This woman by the name of Mary Magdalene runs up to them. And Mary Magdalene says something that's remarkable because you have to understand about her. She was at the cross she heard and saw with her own eyes her Lord, her rabbi, breathe his very last breath. She heard those three powerful words that would fulfill 300 prophecies. She heard, it is finished. She went to the tomb three days later because she's respectful. She's not scared hiding in a room she goes to the tomb and the very tomb that she saw the stone roll shut and seal is now open and she's confused and she's concerned she thinks someone has stolen the body and that it's been disrespected has occurred but then she hears an angel and then better than an angel she sees Christ himself and Christ tells her, a woman, to be one of the first people ever to carry the gospel and says, go and tell the good news to my disciples. And she does. She obeys. She goes and she tells the disciples. And you know what they tell her? R.I.V. Ryan version. Woman, you crazy. I don't believe you. Even though Christ told them this is exactly what would happen, not once, multiple times, they said, I don't believe you. And they kept the doors locked in fear. And then something even more crazy happens. Two travelers on the road to this place called Emmaus, they run into Christ. And Christ tells them, go tell my disciples. They got thick skulls. Go tell them. And they obey and they go and they tell the disciples, you won't believe it. We saw Christ and he's alive. And they said, who the heck do you think you are? We don't believe you. They didn't believe. And then we get in. To John chapter 20 verse 19 and it says this on the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders which Jewish leaders specifically the Pharisees 
the ones who had just connived and manipulated to get Christ on the cross. They're there, and they're locked, and they're at their lowest of low. You've got to understand, there's never been a lower point in their life. And then the miraculous happened. Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, peace. He said, peace be with you. Verse 20, after he had said this, he showed them his hands, the holes in his hands where the nails went. He showed them his side where the spear entered and ultimately ended his life. The disciples were overjoyed. For now they finally believed. They were overjoyed when they saw their Lord. This was amazing. This is the biggest plot twist for them of all time. They were certain that he was dead. And you got to understand, they thought he was a ghost. That's why he had to show them the holes in his hand and the hole in his side to prove that he wasn't a ghost. He was alive and he had defeated death, hell, and the grave just like he said he would. That's the story. But then, getting to my point, we're almost there. Verse 24, now Thomas. Look to your neighbor and say, Thomas. Look to your neighbor and say, doubting Thomas. Look to your neighbor and tell him the real name of Thomas. Thomas wasn't his real name. Say, Didymus. Say Didymus. Now say, that's not gangster. Now say, Diddy. Doubting Diddy. I didn't name him that. The church has been calling him Doubting Thomas for thousands of years. But his actual name was Didymus. And I like Diddy better. So we're just going to do that. Sean Combs, Puff Daddy, P. Diddy. I don't know how I know those things. Didymus. Doubting Didymus. There's a problem. One of the 12, which he was, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Look to your neighbor and say, that's a problem. That's a problem. So verse 25, the other disciples told them, we have seen the Lord. I'm not overselling it. Imagine the joy in their voice. We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, doubting Diddy, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and I put my finger where the nails were, and I put my hand into his side, I don't just have to see it, i got to put it in, I will not believe. I will not believe. And now he's forever called Doubting Thomas because of that one verse. Doubting Didymus. Doubting Diddy. That's who he is to you and to me today. But I want to just bring you a bit of what I think is a new perspective. It's a fact that Thomas was not in the room. It's in the book of John, it's in the book of Matthew, it's in the book of Mark. It's a fact in the Gospels that he was not in the room. We know that to be true. But I don't think his name should be Doubting Thomas. Because the doubt wasn't the real source of his problem. And I espouse to you tonight that the doubt might not be the real source of your problem either. The real source of his problem and the thing that he should have been called was not doubting Thomas. I think he should have been called running Thomas. Because his weakness was not his doubt. And you might say, preacher, that sounds crazy. He doubted pretty hard. Hold on for a second. Hold on for a second. He didn't see Christ. The other 11 disciples, Mary Magdalene told, told them, they doubted. The two travelers on the road to Emmaus told them, guess what? They doubted again. Until they saw him, they did not believe. Thomas still has not seen him. 
So we shouldn't be surprised that he still doesn't believe. He's just like the other 11, actually 12, because they were joined by Matthias. Someone replaced Judas. But you've got to understand, his problem wasn't his doubt. Here's what his problem was. His problem was this. He didn't stay in the room. He ran. His problem was not his doubt. His problem was that he didn't stay in the room. He was running. He was running. The others, they stayed in the room, and they didn't run. And because of being in the room, they got the revelation of their Christ, their Lord, and their Savior, but he wasn't in the room. Now, we don't know why, truthfully, historically, we don't know why Thomas wasn't in the room, but I can tell you this, I don't think it was because he was going to Timmy's to get a double-double. I don't think that. You know why? Because God is pretty powerful. He can plan around a snack run. I don't think that's what he was doing. His whole world just fell apart. He now has nothing. He's unemployed. He's hunted. He's lost everything. I think he was out there running, trying to restore his life. That chapter is closed. I saw the tomb sealed. He is dead. He was out there running instead of staying in the room. The good news for, for John, this is almost, the, excuse me, the good news for Thomas is what else is in John chapter 20? We're almost there. God loved him so much that he came back for him anyway. And eight days later, verse 26, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, in the house, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came through and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach your hand and put it into my side. Does that sound familiar? Stop doubting, Thomas, and believe. And Thomas, the Bible doesn't say this, but I can guarantee you, he fell down to his knees. And he said, My Lord and my God. He saw in that moment his mistake. He saw his doubt. Did he? Did he miss? Thomas learned real quick that you got to stay in the room. That you can't run when times get tough. Job, you know what he did when times got tough? He stayed with his Lord. He stayed with his maker. I want to tell you tonight that you got to stay that place for him was a physical room, the upper room. I've been there over a dozen times in Israel. There's nothing special about it. It's a, it's a nice room, but there's nothing special about it. That room is not now what is important to you. It was a physical room then, but it's a spiritual room now. There's a room that you still need to stay in. And if you will stay in that room, you never need to run again. So I need to tell you tonight what that room is. That room is going to come up on the screen. It's the relationship of our maker. It's the relationship of our maker that you need to stay in. Hear me out for a minute. If you will stay in that relationship, there is nothing that the enemy can do to harm you or get to you. If you will stay in that relationship. How many people here are in a relationship? Boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife. Come on, put your hands up. Put your hands up. Put your hands up. Let me see. How many people are single? Put your hands up. Put your hands up. Oh, my gosh. Y'all, we can fix this problem real quick here at the river. They're excited to be single. You hear them? Single people, be quiet. This part's not for you. Relationship people, listen to me real close. 
what would happen if you treated God the way that you treat your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your husband, or your wife? Hear me out for a second. How many of us check out on God for a week? How many of us check out on God for two weeks? How many of us get so checked out that we don't even send the obligatory good morning and good night text anymore? That's the bare minimum, y'all, in a relationship. The good morning and the good night text. If you're in a distance relationship and you're not doing that, you're not doing enough. That's the bare minimum. What would happen if we stayed with God like we stay with our spouses? Before you say that's ridiculous, hear me out for a second. A relationship is predicated upon one thing, staying. A relationship is predicated upon one thing, staying. Look, my wife, my wife, Lindsay, I have weeks where I'm a good husband and I have weeks where I'm a bad husband, but every single week I am her husband. I stay. I am still here. Every single week you have, every single day of your life, every day you are still a child of God. You are his son or you are his daughter. Every single day, no matter what decision you make. So what I want to ask you tonight is, will you engage in that relationship with him the way we will with others? It's what makes a relationship in this world different from an acquaintance or a friend that you can just check in on every now and then. When you're in a relationship, you are close. You communicate. Do we pray like that? Do we talk to God like that? Or do we just say a thank you before we eat pasta? Or Chick-fil-A, which is opening in Oshawa in a few days, and I'm excited about that. The Lord's chicken, praise God. That's an old preacher thing. When you're losing the room, you just talk about Chick-fil-A. It's great. It brings everybody right back in. You got to understand that's kind of funny. I'm still laughing at that. You've got to understand, my friends, that there is so much power in staying. Stay with your Savior. Stay wrapped around his leg like Maverick wrapped around mine. It's the one place where the enemy can't get to you. It's the one place where you are safe. No matter how discouraged you get, because you will get discouraged in this life, no matter how distracted you get, no matter how desperate you get, Stay in the room. Stay in the relationship. Don't walk out on the relationship and run. It's what the devil wants. He wants you running to the things of this world. Run into anything other than your maker. Anything else, and he's happy because he knows everything else will ultimately fail you. That great spouse you have, he or she will fail you one day. I promise you that. That great friend you have, if they become the thing you lean on, they will fail you one day, I promise you that. But your Savior and your Lord will never fail you. He will never abandon you. He will never forsake you. And you can take that to the bank because it's just the truth. Stay in the room because there are three things in the room. There's revelation in the room. Imagine if your Savior walked in and you missed it because you were out running after the busyness of this life. Imagine if all those bad things that happened to you, if you stayed in the relationship, one day you would get a revelation to know why, but you missed it because you didn't stay in the room. 
I don't want that for you. That's the first thing. The second thing that is in the room is rest. Someone in this room is sick and tired of being sick and tired. You got to understand that if you will stay in that relationship, there is rest. And it's the only place in 2023 that you will find rest. You won't find it in anything else that this world has to give you. It's the only place. And last, y'all, this is the best one last. In the room, there is refuge. In the room, there is shelter. Don't rely on my word. Rely on the words of Psalm chapter 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust for the will, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. If he will cover you with his pinions and under his wings, you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. Get this, you will not fear the terror of the night. Some of you, night is the worst part of your life because you can't turn this off and it's nothing but fear. You will not fear the terror of the night nor the arrow that flies by day nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. Get this one, the last one. This is the best news. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. It will not come near you if you will stay in the room. If you will stay in the relationship, when that boy had my leg, nothing was coming near him. I would fight a stinking bear if I had to. But if he runs out of my house, there's nothing I can do. Stay in the room. Stay under the wing of your Lord who loves you and will protect you. Dwell in the shelter of the Most High. Stand up on your feet, because it's time that we go back to worship. You have a chance right now. Don't, don't, don't leave right now. You have a chance right now. If you've been running like I have for so long, because this life is stinking busy, y'all. you got to get kids here. you got to get to this assignment. you got to get to work on time. You live in Toronto, the worst traffic city ever. You got to pay for gas, which costs a million dollars now. This life is busy. This life is hard. But what if you were so busy running that you missed him? That he walked right in. And you've been wondering why those things happened to you. And you don't know why. What if it's not because he hasn't showed you? What if it's because for a little while you've walked out of the room? If you're so worried about tomorrow that you miss him in your today, you have a chance right now. This isn't preacher talk. This isn't, he just wants me to stay here. No, no, no. You have a chance right now to get it right. To go back into the relationship of your maker and to stop running. Don't let discouragement take you out of the room. That's what happened to Thomas. He got so discouraged that he ran. Don't let discouragement take you out of the house because the Bible says this, better is one day in your house than a thousand elsewhere. 
That verse goes on to say, I would rather be the doorkeeper in God's house than dwell in the tents of the wicked. The enemy wants you dwelling in the tents of the wicked because their tents, they don't last. They crumble. But better is one day in his house than a thousand elsewhere. Better is one minute in his presence in worship than a thousand elsewhere. I know you have almost a thousand minutes tomorrow, but you can take one minute right now to dwell into his house. Worship team, y'all can come up. You can take one minute right now to dwell into his house. I don't want you spending your life running, exhausted, chasing, striving, tired, trying to do it all on your own. When all you ever had to do was stay. To stay in the relationship. Because hear this, this is, this is just truth. At the end of your days, only one thing will truly matter. Your relationship with your maker. This is a chance tonight to get it right. There's some in this room that have never had it. You can have it. You don't have to be clean to have it. You can still be messed up and you can have it. There are some in this room that have it, but you haven't sent a text for a long time. You don't even say good morning or good night anymore. Your relationship is hanging on by a thread. Tonight, you can meet him face to face and tell him how much you love him. You can stay in his shelter. That's what you can do to live. Don't live this life so busy with so much running that you have no more room left to stay in the room, to stay in the relationship. Let's make room for him right now. Make room for him to move, to be our refuge, to be your rest to be your shelter. Better is one minute in his house. Make room for him tonight.